Hey everyone, this is Caleb. Before we started the show, I just wanted to give you a heads up that we are currently doing a giveaway for a free digital copy of Avengers Infinity War. This giveaway ends this Monday, the 13th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. To enter, just go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash nerds and follow the instructions on the post. It's really easy. Go ahead and get yourself in there so you can win a copy and let your friends know. And as always, enjoy the show. Welcome to Cuz We're Nerds, the podcast that covers trends and new releases in comics, movies, video games, board games, and much more. I'm your host, Caleb, and today we're discussing Magic the Gathering. What is this ubiquitous card game? Is it a good fit for beginners? And how do you get into it if you're ready to take the plunge? Find out the answers to these questions and much more on this week's episode of Cuz We're Nerds. All right, so we are back this week, and once again, Zach is still out across the globe doing what he does best, not working on this show. Just kidding. <laughs> that was a bit brutal. Uh, Savage. Sorry, sorry, Chris. Uh, we do have a returning guest from a couple weeks ago, next week as well, Chris from the CNC Power Hour. I love that I'm returning from the future. Well, you were on a couple weeks ago. Yes, but also next week. Well, I kind of like to think of you like Doctor Who. There is no beginning or end. You're just yeah. omnipresent. That's that's fair. I would like to think that, too. How are you? How have you been? I'm pretty good. I mean, I just saw you like two days ago, so... <laughs> the, the listeners don't know that. They we do have to now. keep this... Uh, yeah, you know what? It's all gone. The facade's all, all over. Uh, there's no facade. I talked about my Google Doc one time. We talked about how we weren't prepared at one point. <laughs> I don't know. We we just we do this off the cuff sometimes, kind of. People people like other people with flaws. This works. I have many flaws. If you would like me to list them, I can write you a book. No. Can you do it in like rhyme? Will it be a Dr. Seuss book? I can do it in iambic pentameter. Dope. Perfect. I would buy that. <laughs> All right. Uh so this week we had one really big piece of news come out. Chris, and I'm not, I think you've seen Star Trek, right? You, you, pseudo fan? So I have, I have tried to watch a lot of Star Trek. It hasn't really gripped me. Okay. Actually, the, the series that gripped me the most was mm, widely considered the worst series, which Which, was Star Trek Enterprise. Okay. Uh, It was the, uh, the, the prequel series that took place before everything else in the, in the show. And I watched a couple seasons of that. I've seen a bunch of episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. This news actually really intrigues me because it makes me want to go back and watch it. The news, of course, if you guys haven't heard, is that they're bringing back Captain Jean-Luc Picard. It's, um, oh no, what's his name? Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Thank you. How could you forget Patrick Stewart? Sir Patrick Stewart. Yeah, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. (laughs) Professor X himself. Yep. One of them. One of, one of them. He's done a couple of other things, probably. Yeah, um, Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're bringing him back. They're bringing him back in a new, not the Next Generation series. So it's not it's not a direct continuation of the Next Generation, but it does pick up continuity-wise later than the Next Generation does. Yeah, so it's, it's not a reboot 
uh, or necessarily a straight sequel, but you're right, it is said afterwards, uh, which is interesting that they're doing more than one Star Trek show at the same time. Yes, not only that, this is the first direct sequel, I think, and their entire series. So, I mean, a lot of them are either um, a different base or a different ship, which is 99% of the time bases Voyager, I think. Uh-huh. Um, and this is the first one that is specifically character focused as a sequel, which yeah. is really unique. Yeah, I uh, Discovery is a prequel to all of them, right? I don't know if it's a prequel to Enterprise. If it is, that's interesting. I think it is because they are um, they're about to bring in a captain that I know was mentioned in Enterprise. Sorry, not Enterprise. What was the original? Just Star Trek. Just Star Trek. Okay, um, so Enterprise, the original series is what they call it. Um, Enterprise takes place many years before that. And in fact... Um, they're jokingly mentioned, I think it's a good 50 years before the original series, because there's a joke in the J.J. Abrams film that references uh, Scott Bakula's character, Admiral Archer, and okay. his dog. Um, okay. <laughs> his dog is very important to Enterprise. Okay, so Enterprise was the most like early 2000s TV show you could possibly think of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually... The reason I like it is because it's the only Star Trek with overt humor. Okay. Um, but this is this is way way off topic. But I, it wasn't. It still wasn't good enough to grab me. But it's a lot of it. It doesn't hit a lot of the notes that other sci-fi Star Trek fans like, which is why they don't like it. Not sciencey enough. I guess not. I guess it's not serious enough. Okay. Um, it it realizes that it's campy, and has some fun with it. I I, I feel like the um. Next generation, at least some of the movies, kind of have that campiness too. Because I've seen that's true. I've definitely seen Nemesis. Mm-hmm. Um, I might have seen another one a long time ago. Couldn't really tell you what happened in any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It's 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 good to see Patrick Stewart back. I mean, I think he's phenomenal. Uh, this, along with Discovery, has actually gotten me interested in going into Star Trek. Oh, yeah? I don't know where I would start. Like, part of me wants to start with the original, but at the same time, I'm like, it might be a little grueling for someone that's not into it. That's fair. Um, I would recommend, and this is secondhand knowledge, I would recommend starting with Discovery, seeing if you like the universe that they're setting up. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually really like the two of the three Star Trek movies that have come out. I'm not a big fan of Into Darkness, uh, but... Wait, Into Darkness was the second one, That was the second one, yeah. Yeah, okay. The first one and the third one are absolute great sci-fi action films. I never saw the third one. Third one, I didn't see it until I watched it on Netflix, and it really surprised me with the use of how, how it was portrayed in the marketing was pretty accurate, and more accurate than you would think. And I'm just gonna leave it at that, so like before you watch it on Netflix, watch the trailers for it, and then watch it on Netflix. Well, I, I remember the trailers. The trailers were okay. loud and fun. So yes. It's very much that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll probably check it out. I wanted to see it. It was just I never got around to it. Uh, but that's enough about Star Trek. This is not an episode on Star Trek. Maybe we'll do one someday with someone that actually knows something about Star Trek. Today, yeah. 
We are talking about Magic the Gathering. And Chris, you are here because, as we've mentioned on a couple other shows, you are kind of the resident magic expert at the moment. Yes, so I play and I keep up with a lot of the things involving magic. I play magic every week. That's not a lot. I'm not going to lie. It seems like a lot, but it's not a lot. It's, and you play a, You play for several hours every week. Like four every week. Four to six, depending on what's going on. Um, that's not a lot, and as we'll, we'll get into later. Um, but it's, it, it's become a weird passion of mine, and I'm, I'm really uh, invested in the community and the game and everything surrounding it because it's, such, it's got a such rich history. And it keeps going, which fascinates me. So I want to put this out there for posterity's sake. I was super into magic uh, four or five years ago. Like, really into magic for about two years. Seven years ago. This was 2011. No, 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 no. It was it was 2012 through 2013 for sure. Maybe a little bit of 14. It was your freshman year, right? Uh, No. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, it was because you, you and Zeke were living on campus. Oh, of college, yes, but yeah. also that was twenty thirteen. Okay, gotcha. Um, and that was that was when you tried to get me into it. Yes, so that, that's this is my entire point. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes, I tried to get Chris into this, and he part of part of it was money reasons, to be fair, but he also just didn't have the drive to get into it. And now, as soon as I'm out, like a year later. You and Clay and Andy and everybody at the CNC Power Hour are like super <laughs> into magic. Yeah, and I'm really, I'm really sorry that we kind of were ships passing in the night when it came to this. But when I when I started with you, I had some fun, and then we had like an experience at a game store, and that mm-hmm. really set me off of the game for a little ah. while. And after that experience, I still tried to, like, like, I bought some stuff for it, and it didn't really grab me or click. And then I actually started playing later when I was living with Andy, who had previously played. And we, just one night, we were like, hey, we really want to play Magic. Walmart sells cards. There's a 24-hour Walmart, Walmart eight minutes from here. Let's go. So, you know, 20 minutes later, and... Uh, a non-zero amount of money, and here we are. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so today's episode is going to come in roughly three different parts. Uh, we're going to kind of talk about the playing of the game, which involves a whole lot of stuff. Uh, after that, we're going to kind of talk about collecting, and then if we have enough time afterwards, we might talk about the people that try to make money off of it, and if it's something that you should or should not try to do. So first up, uh, Chris, give us a little bit of history on the game. Gotcha. So, Magic, it started in 1993 with Dr. Richard Garfield, uh, who came up with this weird, unique card game format where all of the cards would be sold in randomized packs. And the idea was that people would buy these packs and use just what they opened to play against each other and, and have fun. It was such a huge hit that... People started buying as much as possible and then started constructing optimal decks. So at the time, and still today, you could get one rare, which is a, a usually an extremely powerful card in a pack. 
as far as Richard Garfield was concerned when he was designing the game, that rare um, may be the only one that you collect over the lifetime of the game. Because booster packs are so random, you're not buying that many. That is far from true now. Now, decks, which are what what you use to play the game, um, you play the game with decks of cards, have often four times four copies of a particular card, mm-hmm. which is absolutely wild. Uh, if you were to talk to Richard in 1993, so this game it was printed in a very limited print run. In fact, the entire first print run sold out at the first event that it was uh, presented. Really? Like, yeah. Some collection, some convention in Dallas, it was presented, and he brought what was supposed to be a year's worth of cards. Oh! And it sold out that weekend. So they immediately ordered another printing. Um, they started getting in more feedback, and releasing different versions of uh, different iterations, I should say, because each iteration of the first set improved upon the last one a little bit or changed some things, but was mostly the same. And then eventually, a couple of years later, it hit a, an extremely wide audience. Uh, kids loved it. Uh, it was just a lot of fun to play, you know, after school, during school, you know, at recess. And uh, adults loved it because... They could bond with their kids, mm-hmm. or they could buy a bunch of stuff and play extremely competitively. And that kind of was happening in the late 90s, right? So this actually kind of exploded mid-90s, I want to say, 96. Okay. Um, and Which I guess is technically late 90s if you're dividing the decade by half. Um, but it, the competitive scene, uh, which I, I guess that's, your, that's what you were talking about, right? The competitive nature just, of it, or just yeah, the explosion? Yeah, kind of the... The awareness of it on a larger scale. Gotcha. Okay. So the, yeah, that was that was definitely late '90s. Uh, when it when it started becoming national, it led to the creation of what's called the DCI, which is a national tournament database that uh, keeps track of win rates and where people play. And that's not something that had been invented for a game before. And so Wizards of the Coast, who is, uh, who makes the game, created the DCI, and that has helped create organized tournament play for this one-off card game, which you don't see organized tournament play for Monopoly. You don't see it for Connect Four. You see it for chess, right? You see right. it for poker. And that, um, I mean, that makes sense because, um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but the guy who invented it was a mathematician, right? Yeah. Yeah. And definitely. so chess and, you know, those games are very mathematically based. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and I actually, I use those two in particular because I like to explain to people that it is chess, but you're also playing poker and there's 10,000 different pieces that you can play the game with. That's actually a really good analogy. Thank you. Um, I may have come up with it on my own. I don't remember. <laughs> but, um, so this, this got to the point where these organized tournaments were paying out cash prizes. So you could actually make a living if you're good enough at this game. Uh, this would lead people to cheat, which is, uh, you know, disingenuous, right? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't really something that was enforced for a little while until, uh, Wizards and the DCI came up with the judge program. So, 
there are so many rules in magic, and I don't want I don't want this to put people off. I'm not going to say rules. There are so many corner cases of rules interactions in magic that there are people called judges whose sole purpose at a tournament is to resolve these weird situations. Yeah, in the world of programming, which I am a programmer, we call those edge cases, meaning 98% of the time it's going to work, but on the edge of your scenario, like maybe it's just something that runs from 0 to 100, on 0 it messes up and on 100 it messes up, right? So those are the situations you're talking about, things where cards seemingly conflict, um, and that's where some of those really unique rules come into play, but that's really only a problem at competitive play. Right. Which is, I think it's like max 5% of all magic that's played. Which, considering how many competitive play events there are today, there's two to three what are called uh, Grand Spree um, every weekend. And those pay out 10 grand if you win in the top spot. And it the top eight all get cash prizes. And after that, or above that, there are also, there's a pro tour, which you can only get an invite to if you win in Grand Prix. And those pay, I think, Mm $25,000 if you win the top spot. Uh, There's four of those a year. But below both of those, there are what are called regional PTQs and then uh, PTQs or pro tour qualifiers. Sorry. So regional pro tour qualifiers, Pro Tour qualifiers, and uh, preliminary Pro Tour qualifiers. And all of this is on a an extremely competitive level. And that is, like I said, maybe 5% of the magic that's being played. The rest is all casual, or just between friends, at home, at school, at work, wherever. Right. Before we get too far into this episode, I just want to give people that aren't familiar with magic... Uh, a very brief description of what it is. Is that all right with you? You know, uh, we got way too into the, way too into this way too quickly, so that makes perfect sense. <laughs> so basically, what Magic is is it's a collectible card game, uh, wherein, as Chris was saying, you buy these packs, or there's other ways to get cards as well, but you buy packs uh, and you are able to build decks. And a deck is a stack of sixty or so cards, depending on the format. Um, and you basically have creatures that you play uh and you try to inflict damage on your opponent right and the goal of the game is to get your opponent's life points down to zero correct i was trying to think of a sport that this is like and i can't think of one (laughs) um that's actually a really good point like i said there there aren't a lot of one-on-one sports right chess uh you're you try to whittle your opponent's Uh board down which is a very common term in magic your board is the playing field um there's poker, which involves hand, your hand and bluffing, uh, which is a very big part of magic at the competitive level, um, and even really at the casual level. And yeah, that's why it's a it's a good combination of those two. Uh, there's not really anything else to liken it to. All right, so do you want to talk about some of the formats that you can play the game in? Yeah, so as the game evolved, uh, there became more and more ways to play. Uh, as the game got older, um, older cards were seeing less printings um, or no printings, and so the older cards got more scarce, which some of them were extremely powerful. So to kind of wall it off um, so that newer players could come in at a later point and not just get blown out by people that either had 
a bunch of money to buy these cards or had been invested in the game for, you know, five, six years, uh, they created formats. So the first one that they created is, it's currently known as Vintage. It is basically any card goes. Each of these formats have their own ban list, which means certain cards just cannot be played, period. Uh, they also, a couple of them also have a restricted list, which means you can only play one or two of these cards. Uh, after a little while of Vintage, they created Legacy, which cuts out some of the powerful cards in Vintage and says you can only use X of these or can't even use them. And then they created what is now the marquee format of Magic, which is called Standard. So Standard is, oh, I guess we should explain how Magic is released. So Magic is released every quarter. There's what's called a new set, which is a new group of cards mm-hmm. that are designed to kind of work together um, or designed all at once and then printed and then sold in these booster packs. So as a very sneaky way to make sure that people were always buying cards, standard <laughs> was created, which lets, which is a what's called a rotating format in Magic, which means eventually older cards cannot be used as newer cards are released. Mm-hmm. So every two years or so, your older cards are useless, and the, you have to buy new cards if you want to keep being competitive. I do want to point out that we've talked about three formats up until this point. All a format is is the base game with some additional rules stuck on top. Yeah. So this is I was I was saving this for for the end of the format conversation because it, the format conversation gets really really weird from here. But Magic is less of a specific game that you can just pick up and play and more of a rule set that allows you to use these cards in almost any way you can think of. So the cards work the same in all of these formats. They don't do anything different between Vintage, Legacy, and Standard, the ones that we've mentioned. It just matters whether or not you can play them, right? So as time went on for a little while, players would come up with their own formats. Uh, the most popular one today is what's called Commander or Elden, <laughs> Elder Dragon Highlander. Uh, it involves, normally in Magic, you can have up to four copies of any card in your deck. That's for consistency, and that's uh, to speed up games. Uh, and it's 1v1. Commander is a dedicated multiplayer format where you can only have one copy of any particular card in your deck. Like, so people would come up with things like this. This particularly started in Florida by, and was invented by a group of judges that played together. And it is, not only is it spread out over America now, it is a format that Wizards of the Coast produces specific cards for every year. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's one example. Another example is, uh, limited, which is, I don't know if it was invented by wizards or by pros that kind of got tired of playing with uh, just the most powerful cards. But basically, what limited is it's it's the quickest form it's the quickest format to get into. You're given X number of booster packs. You open them up in a particular way and you build a deck right then and there, and then you play until everybody's played. Uh, that's a really fun and a really skill testing format because the randomization kind of puts everybody on a set on the same level. But at the same time, it also 
can put you at a disadvantage if someone just got lucky and got a really good card. Yep, that is true. And that's there's there's a balancing mechanic in Magic called variance where your resources this is too deep. Your resources aren't guaranteed. And so that gives like a brand new player uh a non-zero percent chance to win against a pro player. Because if the pro player never draws their resources or draws only resources, then the other player can re- can win. And that that kind of evens even that out. Um, the last format I'm going to talk about real quick is modern. Uh, eventually people got tired of saying, Hey, wizards, uh, I don't want you to dictate what cards we play with. Um, uh, but I also don't really want the old cards to be involved. So we're creating an arbitrary cutoff point and we're playing from there forward. And that's actually an extremely popular format that enfranchised players get into after they've been in the game for a couple of years. It's like after a rotation, and they still want to play with those cards, they move into modern, uh, or still play standard. Uh, standard is the most popular format by far. The, the standard. <laughs> it, it is the standard. It is yeah. what you will find at what's called Friday Night Magic, which is a weekly tournament held at game stores, comic book shops across the world. I could almost guarantee you that if you live in any sort of populated city that has a game store... You can find Friday Night Magic there. Yeah, I I can I would probably bet on that. Yeah, it it's, is. It's incredibly popular. It's like Walmart. It's it's everywhere. Yep, and it's it's actually really really cool because Magic, even though it's competitive, uh, a lot of people like it when new people come in, and so the best time to come into the game is to stop by a shop on a Friday night, say, "Hey guys, you know I'm new." What can we what can we do here? And a lot of people will donate you cards that they mm-hmm. have. Um, they will teach you the rules. Some people lend other people decks. I've done that before. Like if I brought an extra deck, and especially like the store that I like to go to has a bunch of kids that show up during the school year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this this one person's little sister didn't have anything to play. Gave her a deck. She ended up winning a match, even though she hadn't played before. Nice. And yeah, and it's just like it's a fun little bonding experience within within your store. And that's a really good dovetail into the community of magic, which I'm going to be honest, I feel like the community is a mixed bag here compared to a lot of other communities. Uh you can go to a store and have a really awesome time like Chris, and I think that's probably a bit more uh of your experience, but like Chris said, he went his first time and had a not great experience, which can happen depending mostly depending on the store you go to right and it kind of sucks to say to research the store that you go to to figure out the environment uh if it's an extremely competitive environment maybe not go there the first time or if you do go there the first time make it extremely clear that this is the first time your your first time there usually if you're up front people are a bit more lenient a bit more friendly yeah um that was not my experience the first time um, not to say that the store that I went to is a bad store because I still go to that store. In fact, it is one of the oldest stores in the Atlanta area that has done this game. It's been in this location for like two decades. I know because my boss, the law firm used to play there when he was a kid. Wow. Um, growing up. Yeah. Tell me about it. Um, but while that can sour it, um, 
that's just the environment at the store that can be kind of avoided. When it comes to individual players, I would say on the whole, they're a lot more welcoming. Unfortunately, this is a game that appeals to people with antisocial skills. That is correct. With, with, sorry, without social skills. Um, I guess being antisocial is not necessarily a skill, but if you've turned it into one, I'm really proud of you. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, um, I mean, let's be honest. The people, not not everybody, but a lot of the people that that play magic and and do those kinds of things do it because it it gives them something they can spend their time on. Uh, because they might not be as comfortable in social situations as other people. Um, but at the same time, they also come out to these Friday night magic events. So that's not entirely true. It just means that they might not be the most welcoming on the surface level because they're a little shy or they're not really sure how to act uh, versus what you might find elsewhere uh, where people are a little bit more inviting. And I, 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 we're not saying this to disparage anybody. Obviously, we both play magic, but that's just kind of the fact of the matter. Or the right, matter of the and fact. you... The, the, yes. Uh, you <laughs> run into those people anywhere, right? Um, any sports bar or whatever right you find you run into what i like to call gatekeepers people that are like oh um you don't really care about this or you don't care about this enough so you're not worth my time for me to interact with you yeah or you're not taking it seriously enough or you're not heavily invested in the competitive nature of it um which i mean like we talked about all the different formats and how standard is typically the format that you'll find at friday night magic um and and you can totally do that if you want. But at the same time, we kind of didn't mention this. If you just want to play at home with your friend, you don't technically have to play a specific. If I can speak, a specific format. I've got friends who have just gone and bought packs, know the basic level of the rules, and gone and played. Don't let don't let the fact that there are different formats confuse you from getting into the game because those things are easily explained uh, if you talk to someone that has played it or i mean even watching videos it's pretty simple yeah it shouldn't discourage you from just cracking some packs um or having fun with an old pile of cards that you found at a goodwill or something because really this game can lead to so many wacky or fun interactions between you and whoever you're playing it with that uh, you shouldn't get discouraged by people you don't know who you may play against a little bit or people um, that are actively mean to you whenever you go. Mm. It's just don't, don't let that get you down and do your best to have fun with it. It's, it's really rewarding when you can find a group of people that uh, enjoy the game the same way you do. Yeah. Uh, Which is what, which is why I have the CNC power hour is because Clay, Andy and I all enjoy a similar style of magic and we have fun with it and we like to, we want to share that with people. And the, there's actually also a really active YouTube community, uh, with high production values, great humor, uh, great, uh, great tutorials and massive age ranges. There's this one kid, uh, MTG Rhino, I believe his name is, uh, he, he's nine. And he produces magic videos on decks, on news, whatever. 
right? And from there, there's official coverage and anything in between. Fun edited stuff, like if you guys are familiar with Day9, who has been really big in the StarCraft scene for decades. Uh, he hosts Spellslingers on Geek and Sundry, which is a big nerdy internet network of videos. Mm. Um, and that's, that's a great show to sit down and watch and just relax and have fun with because he sits down and he has fun with his opponent. And if you play the game, you can also enjoy the fun there because you can see what's happening. You kind of get the jokes and it's, uh, it helps make things inclusive. And in fact, the reason I started playing again was because of videos like that. And you know what, Chris, there is a new video that listeners might want to watch. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Oh, yeah. You know, so Caleb and I, this past weekend, we sat down and we walked through and overly detailed, because of me, uh, <laughs> playthrough of a Magic the Gathering match. Um, I, I got way too specific with stuff that matters to me that may not matter to a beginner. Uh, don't let it confuse you. Just sit down and watch. If you have any questions, uh, I'm more than happy to answer them if you message me on Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and we'll give you all that contact info at the end. Um, but definitely, definitely check it out. Caleb, I think you'll be able, by the time this episode goes up, you'll be able to put the link in the description. Yeah. On uh, YouTube. Hopefully. I think we're going to put this on you guys' YouTube channel, right? That is the plan. Okay, so we're going to try to have that up when this episode goes up. If not, and you want to check it out, go check it out on their YouTube channel. Just search CNC Power Hour on YouTube, I'm assuming. Yep. And uh, you will find it. it is a bit of a long video, uh, but you can jump around to different parts if you want to. Uh, the reason why it's long is because we actually go through a game uh, and we explain everything as we're doing it. So hopefully you're not confused. Right. And it actually, I think it turned out pretty well, but we do, I, I specifically use a lot of jargon, but I try to explain it as I go. So don't, don't let that put you off. Definitely sit down and take a look at it. If that doesn't help get you into it, Wizards of the Coast also has their own set of how to play videos that recently produced with Jimmy Wong, who's huge in the community. He's the brother of Freddie Wong from Rocket Jump. If you're familiar with those people. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he shows up in tons of their videos. And uh, he actually produces his own uh, YouTube show, Magic the Gathering show called Game Nights and a podcast. Which right. totally worth checking out whenever you get there. Awesome. So, Chris, uh, with the 23 minutes or so that we have left, we've got a couple more points we want to jump through. Uh, not too quickly. But we were talking about earlier about, um, you know, the community and not letting it put you off from playing the game. But that said, this is not a game for everyone. There are some people that should play it, some people that maybe shouldn't play it because it just won't match their personality. Um, and we're going to get into that now. So the first group that you uh, really think can, can get into it is just kids in general. Yeah, kids... Beginning at whatever age they can start reading and comprehending symbol math. It is literally addition and subtraction in this whole game. Um, this game will help them and encourage them as they play it more to better their reading comprehension skills and their math skills. Mm -hmm. 
I know that because my math had to get way better <laughs> when I started playing, and I'm still bad at it. But kids learn things really quickly. They'll definitely pick up on it. You guys can go to tournaments together. Uh, there are formats where you guys can play on a team together. It can be a great bonding experience if you have kids or like a nephew or something or a niece uh, that you can play with. The youngest, the youngest pro player that I know of is Dana Fisher. She's seven, eight, and she has played in more pro level events than I probably ever will. That's that's actually really impressive. Um, I have been to many a Friday Night Magic where a parent has brought their child and their child has beaten me to a pulp. Yep. Sometimes they just get this weird little grasp on the game and it's not angles that you would consider and they just turn out to be really, really good, which is, it, it always encourages me. Playing, not only playing with people better than me makes me want to be better, but mm. playing with kids better than me makes me want to be really better. So the next time I see them, I stomp them back. <laughs> I'm not vindictive um, at all. No, no, not at all. <laughs> so um, the, a group of people that uh, can or can't or should or shouldn't play this, depending on how you look at it, are uh, this game, which we'll talk about in a minute in collecting, can take over your life if you let it, uh, meaning you're going to spend a lot of money on it, again, if you let it. So if you are someone with that type of personality... Uh, which my roommate in college was. His name was Zeke. Uh, he had he he would often tell people that he had an addictive personality. Um, so he he got into magic and he was like super into it. And you can spend all your money on it because it's it's addicting. Opening a pack and seeing what you got or or building a new deck and wanting to go try it out. Uh, so just be wary of that. So if you're good at budgeting and you're good at self control and you have a little bit more of an addictive personality, awesome. If you can't do those things, maybe wade in slowly, I would say. Yeah, if you have, like, serious problems with addiction, don't, because it provides a new experience every time you spend money on it. Mm -hmm. And that really, really hits those addictive centers of the brain. If you can budget, it's great. If you can't budget, there are ways to make it work. And we'll get into that, hopefully, in the in the finance section in a couple of minutes. Another group that probably shouldn't play this game is people that don't like competitive games. If you don't like 1v1 style games, don't play this game. Because the, the goal of the game, I'm going to say 91% of the time, is to defeat somebody else. Whether or not you're on a team, that's always the point, is to defeat another player. There are formats that actually don't have other players, but that's weird math. Beyond the scope of this video. Or this yes. episode. Yeah, We're not a that's, video. That, that's Wait, deep magic. Can they see me? I mean, I am recording on my end, so no. Um <laughs> But Yeah, that is that is that is deep, deep magic. And that's that's where you that's the, the point of the game where you've been playing enough and you're just like, I want to do something wacky. And that's what you can do. You can just have a bunch of fun with it. But if you're not competitive, sorry, if you don't like being competitive, don't play this game. I'm not a super competitive person, but I enjoy. Oh, he the enjoys strategy. destroying you. Oh yeah, hands but down. I also, I also enjoy when you put up a fight. 
Um, wow. <laughs> it makes things way more interesting. You oh, know, there's a this back is getting and forth. I can't say that. Uh, <laughs> um, also, uh, another type of person that definitely should not play this is if you're wanting to buy a game, like say Monopoly, you go, you buy it and you have everything you need to play forever. Probably not the game for you. While you can go buy decks and never buy anything else, that's not really how the game is meant to be played. And I don't think you'll be getting the full experience out of it if you do that. Right. This is not something that you can just pull off the game shelf when your family is sitting down to play something because the power's out or whatever. This is not something, this is not a game for that. So don't, don't expect it to be that, but it is a really rewarding experience if you can play it with multiple people or regular, regularly play it, I guess is what we right. put it. Speaking of uh, needing to buy new things, this is a collectible card game, uh, which means you will be going out and buying packs or booster boxes or decks or whatnot and putting them together. So what all goes into that kind of collecting side of it, Chris? So there there are layers to this. Uh, You can collect just the cards that you need. You can collect every card in a set that you like. And so sets are, like I said, are groups of cards uh, that were printed together. Blocks are groups of sets that are thematically linked. And so you can collect those. A lot of people collect them to play with them again in another fan-made format called Cube, where you just take the cards that you have, build booster packs out of them, and then play with your friends. That is extremely popular, and that's a that's a big thing in collecting. People collect one of a particular card. Let's say I really like. Oh no, what's a relatable card? Let's let's say I really like this Shivan Dragon, which is an extreme. It's one of the first Magic cards ever printed. It's an iconic Dragon card. That's all that matters. Um, I want every copy of it that I can get my hands on. Every copy that's printed, or every as many copies of a particular style. Because over time, as these cards get printed again, which does occasionally happen, art changes, mm. and the the actual card frame, which what what houses the text and the art, that changes over time as well. And so people like to collect that. And there are artists that will sign their cards. They've done the art on. Uh, the magic artists win so many awards a year, it is insane. If you guys ever get the chance to, check out Noah Bradley or Seb McKinnon. Their arts are just gorgeous, gorgeous paintings. Uh, hopefully we can we can link some in a description somewhere. Yeah, I'll, but, I'll put those in if you can send me some stuff. Yeah, one, 100%. So that's that's why people collect. For the most part, there's a, there's a finance reason that we'll get into in a minute. Um, how you collect depends on how much you have how much money you have to spend on the game the best way to collect is what's called singles but you buy the individual cards that you need so that you're guaranteed to get them because if yeah. you buy boosters you're not guaranteed to get the card that you want yeah so the way that singles work are basically someone has bought some packs and has taken one specific card to the game store or online, because you can buy them online as well, and sold it to them. And so now they have them out where other people can buy them. And that's where buying singles comes in. 
Um, and there's a lot of different outlooks on this. Personally, for the most part, I don't like buying singles um, because it's almost a pay-to-win format if all you do is buy singles. But there's some people that that's all they do, and it is more cost-effective. Uh, but you don't get the adrenaline rush of opening a new pack. Yeah, there is a very specific new pack smell that, <laughs> that, wow. that really hits home whenever you crack one of these things open. Uh, Are you okay? Do I need to like call a doctor? Look, man, my family has held so many interventions. It's, <laughs> they haven't it's worked. useless at this point. <laughs> um, it's buying packs is a lot of fun. You, the reason I think buying packs is a lot of fun is because you can play limited with those packs, get some play value out of them, and then discard the cards you don't need, or give the cards away, or trade them. Um, there is a whole secondary market, and that's where the singles come in, and that's actually where a lot of game stores thrive. That's where a lot of their capital is, are in these cards that are out of print, extremely rare, extremely popular. Usually all three of those things leads to cards being worth a lot of money. Oh, yeah. And when we say a lot of money, like cards can range from like three cents a piece if it's like some trash common card up to, I mean, a high card that you can see people buying would be $80 to $150. And then they just go up from there if you're like really looking for something. Right. So... If you're just buying singles for your decks, an individual copy of a card that is frequently played, for most of the formats, like Caleb said, tops out around $80 to $100. Older formats with what's called the reserved list, which is kind of a dirty word or dirty phrase for me, because there's a lot of history behind what the reserved list is, why it exists. Short, long story short. <laughs> You got a lot of stories. I have many stories. I am nothing but stories. Uh, Most of them true. But Wizards printed a lot of valuable cards, and game stores that had capital in these cards and were counting on these cards going up in value lost a lot of their worth. So they were angry with Wizards. Wizards promised never to print at that scale again, and also promised to not print certain cards ever again. This leads to cards being extremely pricey. A lot of the early, really powerful, really useful cards can go for bottom $250 for a single copy, a beat-up copy, like a a copy that's not, clearly hasn't been taken care of, up to a one that was just sold out of a pack like someone had opened a pack of what's called a Black Lotus, which is one of the rarest, most powerful cards in the game, sold for $96,000 recently. Oh, yeah. So that is a lot of money. That leads people to think, hey, if I collect the right cards, I might be able to sell them later for, like, a house, right? This is where this is what we call MTG Finance. It, a lot of people buy cards that they think will go up in value and then flip them at what they think is the height of their popularity and usefulness. It's literally playing a stock market with cardboard. It's not really safe to do. It's not a reasonable thing to do unless you 
have played with the stock market before and understand, you know, how much you can risk. I think it's even, I think it's far more volatile than the stock market. Yes, because popularity, as the popularity of the game grows and things get reprinted or more powerful cards get get printed, the effectiveness of older cards changes. Unfortunately, due to the reserve list, if you can get a hold of one of these particular, particularly valuable cards that will never get reprinted, as long as Wizards of the Coast sticks to that, and it's technically legally binding, there's a lot when it comes to the reserve list. Um, as long as they stick to that, those cards will continue to go up because the game just keeps getting more and more popular. Mm-hmm. But those the, would be very difficult to come by because... Most people that are going to be selling those know what they are. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like if someone today ran across like a Spider-Man number one comic, they're probably going to check out how much it's worth just because the awareness Mm -hmm. is so much more than it used to be. Right. People know what these things are worth unless you get lucky and find an old collection in a Goodwill or something. You're not going to stumble across these cards. You're going to pay a lot to get them. And you're going to really hope that the value just goes up, they're never reprinted, and that when you are ready to sell them, there is somebody willing to buy them at that price. And that is the biggest gamble for me mm-hmm. when it comes to this. Because I couldn't guarantee that someone's going to want a Black Lotus, other than for status reasons, in 10 years. Right. And I mean, it could be where Wizards of the Coast... I mean, they won't. But if they went under uh, for some reason, that the price of that could skyrocket or it could plummet as people don't continue to play a game. I mean, most likely it would skyrocket. But as Chris was saying, like a new set could come out and completely destroy the value of any card. Right. So finance, it's like flipping houses, playing with stocks. If you're really dedicated to it and you can absorb the risk, I can't stop you. If you're an adult, you can do whatever you want. It is a way... I like it as a way to break even. So you can trade cards with other people that are valuable. So let's say you open a card that you have no use for, or have four of already, don't need any more copies. You can give that to somebody else for a card that you do need. Or you can sell it to a game store, who will then sell it to somebody else who actually needs it for a particular deck. And then you can buy whatever you need. That is a good way to keep your costs low, but it is not really a good way to make your living. Yeah, it's it's definitely not reliable. If we haven't hammered that home enough. Yep. Don't do it. Yeah. All right. Chris, you got anything else we want to talk about on magic real quick? He's thinking. thinking. That silence. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. That silence was me making sure I didn't miss anything fun. Um... No, I think we're good. Awesome. Oh, actually, magic magic gets to a point where it makes fun of itself and the cards that it prints. So it can... It's a game that laughs at itself occasionally. And it's really rewarding and fun. I keep saying those two words, rewarding and fun, because you put a lot of thought into it, you get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Definitely worth picking up and trying to play. 
as someone who used to be into the game and is no longer, so I have seen both sides, uh, before Magic, during Magic, and after Magic, the three phases of my life, um, <laughs> it is, Don't it's let your lot. wife hear that. Well, oh no, she'll hear this. She'll, she'll hear it. I'll get the look. Um, it, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's really great. Um, just treat it like any other hobby, pretty much. All right, Chris. Now it is time for our most famouses of segmentes. The one that has been with us since the beginning. Or five or six weeks ago. I was going to say, if your beginning is episode 28, it has been here since the beginning. We rebooted. We went too long. Our our universe was too big. The canon was too big. Plug for next week. Uh, we, ha- we had to figure something out, so we rebooted. And when we did, we came up with What You Been Up To... The segment where we talk about what we have been up to on the previous week. So, Chris, why don't you tell us what you've been up to? So, this weekend, when this releases, Magic is releasing its yearly Commander set. Commander is the set, or is the format that has one card of any particular copy, or one copy of any particular card, and it's a multiplayer set. So, they release four decks that are built to play against each other, and that comes out this weekend. So, I've just been kind of gearing up for it, ready to play it on our stream. It's going to be a lot of fun. The other thing, I can't stop listening to Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. That is the most recent Arctic Monkeys album. And when it first came out in mid-May, I was like, okay, this is all right. I can see myself listening to it a couple times. It has become a weird daily listen to me. (laughs) <laughs> for me <laughs> it's like a daily ritual yeah like you get up take a shower point. brush your teeth sit down on the floor with your legs crossed and your fingertips together and listen to the song i listen to the it's album the, it's the album the yeah. entire album uh, right yeah all glorious 37 minutes of it oh i thought you were gonna say 37 songs no it's like 10 songs but it's really good if you're if the arctic monkeys ring a bell uh they won a grammy a couple of years ago for AM, their fourth album, which is really like fuzzy pop rock. This is completely different. This is more druggy, piano-driven, psychedelic rock. And it just, as a whole, is a really fun, cohesive experience. I wouldn't necessarily pick a single song to listen to every once in a while. I would listen to it as a whole. It's Hmm. great. If you get the chance, it's on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever. Awesome. Caleb, what have you been up to? Well, Chris... Am I supposed to say it as whatcha? Have I been doing it wrong this whole time? You have. You're completely oh, no. wrong. If I, I say I, it once, can you go back and edit all the other ones? Yes, I will do it, but I won't edit it. Ready? Three, two, one. Whatcha been up to, Caleb? Perfect. We did it. We got we there. We got it. We got the cut. Cut the check. Um, Wrap it up. It's over. <laughs> so... Uh, real quick, sidestep for a second. Anthony Mackie plays Falcon uh, in the Avengers movies. Apparently, on the set of... It was either Infinity War or Winter Soldier. Uh, every time they did something correct, he would shout, Cut the check. He's like, <laughs> Alright guys, we did it. Cut the check. Like, th- through the entire production. It, it became a really big joke. That's fantastic. Alright, I love it. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, I have been up to a couple different things this week. First up is I talked about a couple weeks ago how I've been playing Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. And I figured that my show that people like to listen to uh, because it's fun and interesting and 
and stuff would be a great place for me to complain about something, which is that game. Because yesterday, oh, let's see, was that yesterday? Yes, that was yesterday. Uh, I got up at like 8.30, put in the game. My goal was to beat it, or at least beat part of it. I played for like five hours, which is a long time for me. Rage quit. Rage slash sad quit. And then came back to it at like 8.30 at night and did not finish till 11. The reason this is so frustrating is because almost that entire time, I was trying to beat the final boss. It was so infuriating. So the way the game set up is you play as three different characters. Uh, each one has their own story, right? So I beat the first one. I was on the second one. His name is Terra. And I was, I was fighting the final boss. I'm not going to spoil what that is. But I literally probably fought the boss 40 times. Wow. I spent over four hours trying to beat the boss. It was the most, most infuriating experience. You know, that's really interesting because that's not an experience you get in a lot of games anymore. Growing up, that was the experience. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, Kingdom Hearts is mm -hmm. home to that sort of experience. I had issues beating the first one, but this one, I was online. I was like, after a certain point, I was like, I'm doing something wrong. What do I need to be doing? So I look it up and they're like, oh, yeah, I mean, he's pretty hard at level 40. And I'm sitting over here at level 20. Like, awesome. Oh, that's, no. That's great. Uh, I did finally beat it, but um, awesome. just be warned if if you play that game. You're probably going to play it at some point. So I am definitely going to play it at some point. I am a completionist, so I will, glad, I will guarantee you that I'm going to be at least 21 by the time I get there. <laughs> I pretty much was just speaking through the story. I didn't like Terra as a character that much. Uh, I didn't like his play style. Mm-hmm. So um, I've got one character left. But the other thing I have been doing this week is um, I have been listening to the audiobook of Star Wars Thrawn Alliances, which is the sequel to a book that came out, I think, two years ago called Star Wars Thrawn. Nice. Who reads this? Who's the voice? Uh, Mark Thompson, I think, is his name. The narrator. sound familiar. I, I think I think that's his name. I looked at okay. it to make sure it was the same guy that did the first one because I listened to the audiobook of the first book and it was really good. Um, if you're a Star Wars fan, you know the name Thrawn. He was a big part of the expanded universe, and then they wiped that. And after Disney bought Star Wars, uh, this is them bringing him back into the new canon, um, and it's it's really good. Uh, the narration is fantastic. The books are incredible. So far, I'm not super far into the second one. I don't like it as much as the first one. But at the same time, I didn't mm. really like the first one until I was a good ways in. Because um, I wasn't exactly sure what the plot was going to be. Uh, but it's really great. The narration is fantastic. Sound effects, music, it's all there. Awesome. Was this also written by Timothy Zane? Zahn? Zahn. Oh, no. Yes. Zahn. Uh, so the Thrawn was originally introduced in books written by him. And then these new ones are also written by him. Awesome. Yeah. Very, very good read slash listen. I highly recommend the audiobook. I mean, I know they're expensive, but dude, just 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 do it. Nike. If you want to sponsor us, we'll gladly gladly accept it. Um all right. You got anything else? No, that's it. Alright. Well, Chris, thank you for joining me again. Uh you will be on the show next week as well. I certainly will. I will become. I'm currently coming to you from the future. 
but I will also be here next week. And it, I can go ahead and tell you it's going to be awesome. I hope so. It was good. It was a good time. You're not the only guest on that episode, so uh, I'm, I'm also looking... not the only Chris on that episode. Yeah, that's we're going to have to figure out something different in the future, because that threw me all off. You can just voice pitch me really, really high and voice pitch him really, really low. I wish so I could people... do that, but we're all on the same track, so that's not possible. Uh, but anyway... I find, your, I find your lack of dedication disturbing. Mm. I was trying to come up with a clever retort, but I, I couldn't. I hate sand. <laughs> you know who else hates sand, Caleb? <laughs> Taylor Poole. Uh, Taylor Poole did our opening music, and he is working on some new music for us. He's awesome. He does great work. Please go check him out at taylorpoolmusic.com. That's T-A-Y-L-O-R-P-O-O-L-E. Don't forget it. Music.com. Awesome. So... You guys can check me out at twitch.tv forward slash CNC Power Hour. Uh, my roommate and a good friend of mine, we hang out, we play video games, magic, occasionally board games, really just whatever we can to get together and have fun. Again, that's twitch.tv forward slash C, the letter N, C, Power Hour. That's also our Twitter, Facebook, and I guess we have an Instagram handle. <laughs> maybe hopefully maybe i'm not entirely sure uh you can find us there if you have any questions about how to get into magic how to play magic if you want me to take a look at a deck you built whatever send them to any of those places and i will do my best to get back to you in a reasonable manner yeah great show i've been on a couple times so if you don't like chris but you like me maybe check out those episodes how dare you? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, good time. Go check that out. And also, uh, while you're doing that, please check out our new website. Uh, we launched that this past week, I think. Uh, all of our episodes are now on it. You can see all of them, and including our news episodes, because it's news. Uh, there's stuff about us. There's pictures of me and Zach. Yes, Zach still exists. Yes, he's still part of the show. Uh, contact forms, all of that great stuff. Please go check it out at cuzwernerds.com. That's C-U-Z-W-E-R-E-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Caleb, again, thank you so much for having me. This is totally a genuine first take of me saying thank you. I really appreciate being on the show. <laughs> Every time, it's a blast. Of course, I am so glad to have you on here. Uh, it's great. I mean, this is the third time I've had you on, so if I didn't like you, either I have no friends, or I'm lying, so... Take... Having known you for as long as I have, both of those are equally likely. Exactly. Thanks for listening to Cuz We're Nerds. Stay up to date on all the nerdy news and podcast drops by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also leave us feedback or comments at cuzwernerds at gmail.com. That's C-U-Z-W-E-R-E-N-E-R-D-S at gmail.com. And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Next week, we ask a controversial question. Does canon really matter? In today's world of expansive fictional universes, does it enhance fresh stories or shackle creators? And what role should it play in our entertainment moving forward? Find out next week on Cuz We're Nerds. Stay nerdy. Oh, 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 it's magic, you know. 
Never believe it's not so. <laughs> that was terrible. Yep. I tried to do as bad as I could. That's really bad. Uh, perfect. The things, I, the things I do for love. Cut the check. Just for you. Cut, cut the check. We're done. <laughs>